Hey everybody, welcome back to another episode of The Thinking Project, where we give you actionable advice from real-life stories of entrepreneurs and business owners. Stay tuned to the end of the episode to hear a special offer from me and from a new venture I have going on, because I think you'll really enjoy it. But I interviewed Todd Randall today, who believes that even normal people can become entrepreneurs, and you don't have to fall into a viral fad or spend millions of dollars to get into small business. In fact, Todd started a small business, uh, retail business, learned all of his lessons, and started the long road of growth and scale. So one of the main takeaways I got from this episode, though, was that uh, it's easier to run multiple businesses uh, over one. So to hear that story and all the lessons he taught in that, please uh, welcome Todd Randall and share this with your friends, and I hope you really enjoy it. Thank you so much for listening. All right, we're we're good to go, Todd. Thank you so much for joining me. By the way, I'm really glad that uh, our our teams got together and made this happen, and uh, and I'm really excited to hear about this. Now I know you have a lot of businesses. We talked about this before, um, but I'd love for you to tell us in your own words, introduce yourself and what you do, and and uh, and how you got to this point. I guess. <laughs> yeah, sure. Thanks. By the way, I really enjoyed our first conversation. I appreciate. Uh you know, taking the time to get to know somebody, um, in that way. So thanks for that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, thanks. So I'm, I think my kind of mantra is that I'm just a regular guy, um, who wanted a different lifestyle. Um, and I think a lot of people are after that right now. So it's kind of apropos, you know, people are thinking about how can I change my, my work life balance or how can I work at home more or, um, how can I do my own thing? And uh, I'm a guy who's accomplished that. So it's interesting just to kind of throw it into the mix and talk about it right now. I'm a pharmacist, actually. Um, oh, wow. And wow. so I practiced for a couple of years and really enjoyed it and just thought, well, I want to do more. I'm, I'm a business guy at heart. So I went to industry and I worked for industry for a long time. Learned lots of skills. Um, I had an entrepreneurial spirit, spirit, but I didn't really have anything to sink my teeth into. So I just, you know, I learned the lessons of the big corporate uh, gig for a while. And then when I finally felt ready, too late, probably, um, I could have done it way earlier, but I, I started one business and it was o- as overwhelming as anybody's first business was. And I didn't like it. <laughs> it was not an improvement. Um, and so I kind of built, you know, a foundation and a structure and a process where I, where I could run businesses, small businesses without it killing me. And that's, that's probably my claim to fame. So now I have you know, four businesses running remotely. Um, and I still travel quite a bit and I'm an athlete. Um, so you don't have to be there every day, you know, not for every business. Some of them you do. Yes. But, um, I think I'm just an example of a little different type of business person. That's a little bit of anyone can do it. And a little bit of, um, you know, special skills and special programs can, can help you, you know, overcome your, your obstacles. Yeah. I, I already love um, where this conversation is going, because one of my favorite things to talk about during these podcasts is like the journey of stepping maybe out, you know, in your case, out of like the corporate world and into yeah. your own venture. But what I'm really curious about and what I love to focus on, not necessarily focus on, but a place to start, because this is where a lot of people like it resonates with a lot of people, at least that I've I've learned, is that you stepped out of the corporate world, in your words, maybe a little too late. <laughs> but your first business 
yeah. did not do well. Can you talk talk us through like your first experience stepping sure. out and then it not working out the way maybe you thought it would? Yeah, the business actually did um, from a profit and loss or like a you know ROI perspective was doing quite well. It just okay. I wasn't measuring my success by dollars at that point because I was a corporate bureaucrat the year before and I was making gobs of money. And I think lots of people have this revelation. Well, I hope that many people have this revelation. It's a good problem to have, right? It was where you're, yeah. you're working hard and you've accomplished some of the things that you set out to do. And just like a dog who's chasing a car, you know, it's a fair question. What if they catch it? What then? <laughs> right? And so I, I, you know, I had a fancy title. I was living outside the country on an expat assignment. I was making, it's all relative, of course, right? But to me, I grew up in a trailer park in the middle of nowhere. And for me, I was making gobs of money. I could do anything I want. And then, um, oh, can I tell a story? This is, this is my favorite revelation yes, story. Yes, go so, for it. I was on this assignment where I was getting a lot out of it, super satisfied, um, getting lots of kudos from my corporate team. I was reporting to the CEO of a $300 billion corporate corporation, right? And um, I was living in Europe at the time and building them a business plan to help them uh, start a division in Europe. And very, very fun. Like I was really looking forward to staying there and helping build it and everything. And that was right before the crash of 2007, 2008. And my corporate team was savvy. And they're like, we feel strong headwinds. We'd like to bring you home. And I was really, really sad. Like I was, I was on the tear. I was in, right in the middle of something that was really satisfying. And so I said, okay, well, I'm going to take a little bit of time off because I've been working overtime for two years on this project. I said, yeah, great. No problem. Why don't you report to work in 45 days? Which was extremely generous of them at the time. Um, I really you know, respected them for giving me a little time. So I went to Paris. I live nearby and I joined one of those uh, language programs. I don't know if you've ever done this before. Well, you live in Utah and people are extremely language um, savvy in, in Utah. So maybe you are aware, but they have these schools everywhere in the world where you can go somewhere and attend like a, like a high school student where you attend class during the morning and have conversational uh, studies. So I did that, you know, all morning for a month. And then in the afternoons, I would go museum hunting or golfing with friends or, you know, dinner with uh, new friends or what have. And it was a very social, interesting, fun month. And at the end of the month, they looked down at my tab for all of it. And it was like 0.00 something percent of what I made during the month. And I thought, wow, if it does, if it's not expensive, you know, to have the best month of my life, this changes everything. Because before I was on this assignment, I was living in a very expensive city with a very expensive car, and I was dressing to the nines because I wanted to impress my corporate friends. Um, and I was <coughs> trying to go to charity galas and all the stuff you do as a 30-something-year-old trying to impress your neighbors, right? And I had a run rate that was like I was spending a lot of money every month. And here I am in some foreign city um, in an affordable apartment making new friends. And that when I added up at the end of the month, it was like a couple thousand dollars. And I know that a couple thousand dollars is not nothing. Like some people's like, you know, struggle to get a couple grand a month. But remember at the time that I was, I was a corporate mid-level executive. I was making lots of money. And to think that I could live, um, that my income needed to be a fraction of what it was, really put my mind in a different place. And I thought, well, geez, what could I do? What kind of work could I do? 
to have this kind of lifestyle and take all the pressure off. You know what I mean? Oh yeah. No, when you were saying that, when you were giving that story and you said, um, I tried to write it down, but you said, if it's, you know, if it's not expensive to have like fun and live like that, right? Like yeah. what, what, what are we doing? Right. What am I doing? Because I was, um, I, this is a little cliche, but I think a lot of you listeners may, um, you know, they may associate with this a little, um, or it may resonate with them is the word I was looking for. I had started to gain a little weight. I had fallen out of good habits. My sleep patterns had been um, interrupted because I was, you know, flights and alarm clocks and early calls and late calls and all that kind of stuff. My marriage had disintegrated. I just worked, you know, just worked myself out of it. Lots of folks do that, right? Um, I wasn't taking care of myself. And so for this month, I would get up in the morning, I would go to the gym and then go to class and meet young, interesting, fun people. Um, and then I would go see new things in the afternoon, socialize at night, and it was costing me a fraction of what I expected my normal lifestyle to make. And I thought, wow, I've been living my whole life hoping to do this someday. And I didn't realize that I could stop right now. I could stop right now and have this if I just changed my perspective a little bit. Mm. Yeah. And, and that just brings up so many cool things because I like how you mentioned like, you know, a couple grand a month might be a lot to somebody, but it's, I think it's all relative. And that's the point you, you were making, right. Is like, yeah. if people just realized like if they took their, you know, their ideal, whatever their ideal scenario and put mm -hmm. that on paper and tried to like, you know, have this like maybe a counterintuitive approach was is like ma actually math it out and see yeah. how much it would take. You'd yeah. be surprised, which is, it helped me so great. much. And I've made this decision a few times in life based on that experience, based on that very experience. It just helped me think things differently. Like I'll tell you a good example. When I was in Europe, I went to a, an event some night. It was a, maybe a, a charity event where, you know, everyone met at a restaurant and everyone threw $10 into a, a bucket and then they donated it to the local health charity or something. Right. And, um, I was with some friends from France, different culture than mine. And, uh, someone came up and the first thing they said is, Oh, Barbara, you look so lovely tonight. Whatever have you done with your pretty blue dress? And it took a second for us to sink in, but I'm like, I knew something was weird about that expression. Right. Did you catch it? Like when you heard that, did it, did it sit, it didn't resonate right for yeah, whatever no, it, it definitely sounded weird. Because in America, you would never wear the same dress to out twice, right? Like if someone came up to you and said, well, what about your blue dress? I like the way you looked in that last week. You'd be mortified because like, oh my God, you remember what I wore last week? And, and now I wore it again. You must think I have a small closet. And it was one of those things where the, my friends had one good suit and the ladies had two or three nice dresses and their closets. Like if you ever travel in Europe, you notice the closets are smaller than ours. And there's a reason for that. Is because they just don't value hoarding clothes like Americans do. It's a cultural difference, not good or bad. Uh, sure. It's cool to have lots of options too. I like that here. Um, but uh, it made me think, oh gosh, how much money do I spend on clothes a month? Well, I, I was spending a lot. <laughs> so <laughs> it's, one of those, it's one of those ways where you look at your budget and you think, well, I have to have X thousand dollars set aside for clothes or I won't be looking as nice as my colleagues at work. And you can turn that on its head and say, I can choose to wear whatever the hell I want and leave it up to them to judge or not judge. It's not my problem. Right. Yeah, right. If it gets me closer to my goals, if that means I'm able to put $300 a month into a kitty that allows me to retire at 44 instead of 65, 
then you just have to weigh the thing. Yes, are people going to snicker sometimes that I'm wearing khakis and a button, a, you know, a, a practical button-down shirt? Let them snicker. Like, yeah. what what do you lose from that? Nothing. You know what I gain? I gain retiring 19 years early. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's what's up. I, I just like that mindset <laughs> shift, though, because I wish that people, you know, that that's a hard one to to drill home though, because to drill, to drill home, excuse me, I can't talk yeah. today. Um, yeah. Because so many people get caught up in what other people think. And I was listening to uh, one of my favorite authors, Mark Manson, and he was quoting someone else, but uh, yeah. he, you know, I heard him say like, you'll stop caring about how much other people think of you when you realize how little they do. How little they think of you. <laughs> <laughs> right. Like everybody's just so focused on themselves. and. And if you take the time and just realize that, you know, people are just going to do whatever they, they're going to do. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. But I really like that, that you, I really love that story of, of going, going to Paris and realizing that you can have a lot of fun and it doesn't, and you can have a lot of fun, you know, in your own way and not, and, and have the lifestyle that you wanted. Like it was just that, yeah. it's just that shift, right. That a lot of people. So what was it for you that, that uh helped you realize that i mean obviously you you tallied it up at the end but mm -hmm. but i mean what kind of place did you have to be in to to really accept that in your head because some people get there and they don't right and they don't pull the trigger yeah i was saving and i think that was uh one of the things that helped me is i was thinking okay so where do i want to be when i grow up right when i get older mm -hmm. and i thought to myself well i want a little place in the country and that requires buying the land and i have to build a house and um, you know, I was thinking about what my family might look like and where I would live. And I had a number in mind in my head that I was building towards in order to accomplish that. And it seemed like such a Herculean task, right? Um, and the big change for, for me really is remember, this is only a dozen years ago. Okay. Mm -hmm. Maybe 15, but the number was between like two and $3,000 a month. Um, now think about all the people that can't afford that. What's up, everybody? This episode of the podcast is brought to you by Norm Wilkinson, the happy health insurance guy. You know that if you're a small business owner, entrepreneur, 1099 employee, finding the right health insurance can be a pain. Not anymore. With Norm, he is an entrepreneur. He is a business owner. So he understands the challenges that we all face every day with health insurance, with finding the right price. And that means that he's better equipped to help us all find the right coverage at the right price. So visit his website, thehappyhealthinsuranceguy.com, or give him a call at 801-687-9191 for a free consultation and policy review. Having a relationship-oriented health insurance agent that will take the time to customize your coverage is amazing and not just another dude at a call center. So give him a call, 801-687-9191 or visit him at thehappyhealthinsuranceguide.com. Let him give you a policy review and a free consultation and it'll be the best decision you ever made. Thank you so much for listening. School teachers and you know uh, construction workers and police officers and fire people, like it really does include a large portion of the workforce yeah. That could. And when I started to tell that story, it, it sounded glamorous, didn't it? I'm living in a foreign city. I'm going to the opera. I'm golfing with friends. I'm socializing. Um, and it just, there's something about it that is irreconcilable, right? That a very glamorous lifestyle on a very small budget. Now that wouldn't, that wouldn't work everywhere. 
mm-hmm. right? Because there's some cities that are more expensive than others. And if I had a family with me there, that would have been more expensive. And if I had healthcare concerns, that would change the equation. But for me, this is just one place, one reality of it was a showcase. It just helped me think of it differently and said, okay, let's assume that I am, you know, with a family someday. Let's assume that I am caring for some healthcare concern. Let's assume that my expenses are in a little different city somewhere. It's still, I still don't need all the money I'm making right now. Yeah. I can change my mind about this. And so what I decided is that maybe, uh, you know, maybe just a little context shift uh, was in my best interest. And when I came home, instead of thinking to myself, oh, I, you know, you need a million dollar business in order to have your own business. I thought to myself, <laughs> well, what if, what if I had a hundred thousand dollar business? Yeah. Right. What if I had a $50,000 business? Mm-hmm. Those are, those are complete, they can change your life. If you had a side hustle, right, to bring in tens of thousands of dollars a year, 30, 40 grand a year, for some people, think about it, that doubles their income on a side hustle. Yeah. And, and they are possible. It's completely viable to have side hustles to bring in that kind of income. And what some people do is they have these side hustles or, or they take on a project and they realize that they're fun. They're enjoying them and their income greatly exceeds that. And then it's an easy choice. For those folks, I can see why... <laughs> You know, they quit their job and that's all easy. But for most of us, it's a harder decision than that because we're a professor or we're a pharmacist or we're a, you know, we have some profession that pays us and we think, gosh, another five years and I'm going to get that extra rung and I'll be making five or 10% more in a year. Um, And if you think that mindset, you'll just be trapped in it forever because your expenses go up more than 5% every couple of years. Yeah. Yeah. Of course. (laughs) Right. Um, So you'll get trapped in it. You know, you're just, you're not putting the brakes on fast enough to stop at the stop sign, if you know what I mean. Oh yeah, absolutely. But that's kind of the mind shift, mind shift uh, that I love to like talk to people about because yeah. one of my favorite things to teach people is like, for a long time, my wife and I did like virtual assisting. Oh, yeah. um, Cause like I was in it. So I'm an accountant and a finance guy, like by, by schooling. I um, and my, and my wife loves um, just tat like projects, you know, like data entry, like these things aren't that crazy but you know what was crazy was like hey we wanted to like meet some people like i had met people on my podcast i was like i really want to get to know them how can i do this and then one day i'm following them on their social media and they're like hey i'm looking for somebody who can like keep a spreadsheet and i was like well i know how to do excel yeah, and this sure. is really cool <laughs> and and oh by the way he's going to pay me for it you know what i mean and yeah. and people and we were just i mean and i love what you said there cuz this is what the biggest lesson i learned was like our side hustle was fun it brought mm-hmm. my wife and i together we made a little bit of money and mm-hmm. uh, we didn't need to make a hundred thousand dollars. Like we were cool with the extra thousand or 2000, but then I asked people like, yeah. I go, what would an extra thousand dollars a month do for you? And, and most people that I talk to would be like, that would be significant, either life-changing yeah. or pretty damn close. And yep. so it's like, then why don't, then why are we tripping over? Like if I, ha- if my idea is not the next Amazon or Uber, Mm-hmm. then I don't want to do it. And I'm like, you're crazy. That's not yeah. real. <laughs> this is a, this is one of my favorite topics too. I'm glad that we're going down this rabbit hole because yes. the first business that I started was not mine. Okay. It wasn't mine at all. I, I looked around and I, I had a bunch of ideas and none of them really felt, you know, like the risk reward profile was suitable. Um, mm-hmm. And I ran into a friend at the gym one night um, and uh, he'd opened a, a spa uh, in, in our local neighborhood. And it was a nice place to go. And I'd been there and I enjoyed the experience. Um, I traveled a lot. So I used massage therapy to keep my neck, you know, loose. 
And um, I, I asked him how he got into it. And he goes, yeah, it's, you know, they're pretty fun to run. That requires a lot of staff, but you and I both have management experience, so we could handle that. The rest of it's actually not that hard. Um, they just need local representation for a business like this because it's so people-oriented. And um, he said, I just bought my rights from a franchisor. And I'm like, franchising, it doesn't sound sexy, but <laughs> unless, of course, it allows you to quit your job and not travel three days a week, and you can be your own boss, and... And, and, and like, there are actually a lot mm -hmm. of reasons why it was sexy. I just couldn't get past the fact that it was someone's idea, someone else's idea at first. Because mm -hmm. I thought to be an entrepreneur means that you've invented something. You have to be an innovator. It has mm -hmm. to be your idea. It has to be Todd Randall Consulting, right? Mm -hmm. um, and, uh, and so I just, yeah, my ego needed to get through it, I think. Yeah, it's not. One of my favorite things, and I heard this a long time ago, um, I think, and I can't even remember who said, it. I think it was maybe Tom Bilyeu, but this lesson stuck with me because I really heard that like maybe at the very beginning of my career, like eight or nine years ago. And he said that there's like three types of like people and, th and three types of, yeah, three types of people. And the first two kind of fall in this entrepreneur category. And the first two were like, obviously like a founder, like somebody who has the idea and, and trail and a trailblazer, things like that. Uh, but the second one he he mentioned was a linchpin. And he's like, and the linchpins are, are why trailblazers can, why Amazon, like, you know what I'm <laughs> yeah. saying? Like Amazon wasn't only Jeff Bezos. Like he had no. a bunch of people, you know what I mean? Yeah. And he yeah. had like, he had like homies there. He had ride or dies there who were ready to go, you know, like linchpins. Yeah. And that was Tom. those guys was, are. Oh, his first it? company was not his idea at all. Yeah. He worked for somebody else and he wasn't a senior executive to start. Yeah. I mean, he that's was great. Just, he was good well, at what he did. What he did, uh, he became an executive with a company, and so important to them that uh, he got cashed out when the rest of them did. And then the rest of his entrepreneurship is history. But you know, he yeah. worked with other folks' ideas in that company. It's not to say that he wasn't instrumental. Right. Um, it's just it doesn't need to always be your idea when you start, right? Exactly, and and like it's okay to like be a linchpin and and help other founders. Yeah. Like that's kind of where I found myself. Is like. I do have a lot of ideas. I have that entrepreneurial spirit, but man, I love, I love to, to mm. help other people and, yeah. and go right. Like somebody, some, my favorite words are, dude, I hate sales and marketing and finance. And I'm like, that's it. Let's, yeah. let's go then. That's rough, I, <laughs> I go, cool. I don't need the idea, but, but if I can help and be a part of the team, like, uh, you know, that kind of, but, but you're, and, and on that same vein, you don't have to be a founder or an innovator to be an entrepreneur. Like you can be yeah, part of the team. I, I think, I think, because that's hard. That's just as hard. Like when, yeah. you know, we have a big company here in Utah um, that went public a couple of years ago, Lucid, you know, and we, I mean, we have a lot of companies that go public and, and this story is not unique to Lucid, but it just, it was fresh in my mind because like they, you know, there, there are people there who now who were there when it started, 10 or 11, 12 years ago. Mm -hmm. Um, and I would, to and like, uh, like for when Lucid was five employees and they were no all knocking doors, like to me, that sounds very entrepreneurial to me. That's like, it yeah. doesn't matter whose idea it was like, we're all, we're all in it now. <laughs> no. I think here's the, here's the essence of entrepreneurship, um, or entrepreneurism for me is that in a small company, when you're first starting something, um, it's a, it's a high adaptation environment very uh, dynamic, 
fast-moving, fast-changing environment. And it requires people, like the people who thrive in that environment are problem solvers for the like, okay, we need a large office space and there's nothing big enough in town, so we need to build one. None of us are here are contractors. We're an accountant, a chemical engineer, a teacher, and an ex-football player. <laughs> but one of us has, you know, has to take this project on to find a way to build a new building. And whoever has the bandwidth right now, you know, has to just raise their hand and say, okay, great. Well, I'm, you know, I was doing <laughs> education programs, but I'll do it. And then you figure it out and you learn something in the process. I love that. Yeah. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And I think that's what entrepreneurship is. It was for me, like you and I approached this from the same angle. I, I was just a bureaucrat. I had managed teams before and mm-hmm. I knew stuff. I knew things about stuff, but. But, you know, if I'm going to walk into a spa that was my first business, I don't bring any unique talent to that business. Mm. What I did is I filed permits and I built a building, which I'd never done before. And I hired a bunch of staff to do jobs that I'd never done before. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, And I established a franchise agreement and a leasing uh, agreement with a landlord. And I'd never done that before. And I failed all over the place. I made all kinds of mistakes. But I walked into it with a confidence to know that these are skills. These, there are some basic skills that I need to learn. Um, I can probably go for advice on some of it, but in some cases, I'm going to trip over myself and that's okay. And you need to yeah. just keep getting up the next day and working and working and working. And after a while, I built a basis of skills to run that business pretty well. And when I realized that, I just, I open another, that's all. Right? <laughs> that's awesome. No, that's right? a great idea. Like, I, I mean... I love, I love the idea of it's okay not to have a sexy business. It's okay mm-hmm. to change your perspective on what it means to be an entrepreneur. Yeah. Um, because at the end of the day, like I was talking with a really good uh, friend on here, he's since become a really good friend of mine, uh, but I met him on the podcast and, and he was right. like, how can you ever recognize a million dollar idea if you don't fail at your thousand dollar idea? <laughs> you know, I, I yeah. go, I go, damn right. I guess so. Like, cause you yeah. don't, I mean, yeah. I mean, how do you know, you know? Yeah, and just remember that you don't, an idea is not necessary. Right. There are some people who've really accomplished their version of success by being a partner in a local law firm. Mm. And then realizing after a couple of years that their expertise was such that they could consult with that law firm for 20 hours a week and build a small apartment complex. And now they've got two different businesses right? Or start yeah. coaching the softball team or start doing something else, right? They start yeah. becoming a, a more diverse business person or they can start their own firm or they can consult overseas. Maybe people have a special interest in how law is practiced in Utah, right? Um, there are aspects of your business that you can just just discover and grow, but you have to have a platform. That's the thing. You mm-hmm. got to start with something. I had friends, when I made this change, I was around 40, and I had been relatively successful in my business. And so I'd made other successful friends and, you know, people that I was golfing with and left, lived next door to, some of them were in, in big business. And when I told them I wanted to start a business, they had lots of questions about exit strategy and choosing the right business and everything. And I, I remember really getting into them a little bit. I said, look, you guys don't understand, like when you're managing an institutional fund of $600 million dollars. And you're pouring over documents to choose just the right companies to invest in, then yes, you have criteria for what's the best business for you and what the what your internal rate of return can or should be. I need a business, <laughs> small a, 
hey, business, like I can't get started until I have one. Mm -hmm. And if I have a business where I'm sweeping floors for somebody or I'm picking up someone's groceries or I'm uh, answering phone calls for them, like unless I start something, I can't conceivably grow it. And um, if you have a great idea, then I say pursue it because that's the most fun way to do it. But I think for mm -hmm. a lot of entrepreneurs, you just need a foundation. And what I did is I started a business. It was successful, but overwhelming. So I opened up a second one and then started to manage my time better, where I was delegating more tasks. I had more senior people that could you know, operate the business without me. And that, that was my fire. My spark was, oh, mm. scale creates distance for me. Ooh. And that was, that was my revelation, <laughs> yeah. right? Because I had two, I, I couldn't justify having um, a, uh, like a seasoned operations officer for one business. There just wasn't enough revenue to justify the position. Otherwise I wouldn't have had an income. Um, but when you have two, it starts to make sense yeah. or three or four. And so what I was willing to do, and this goes back to Paris, actually, how about that for coming full circle? <laughs> so I had opened a second business and I thought, this is great because in both businesses now, they were running less successfully than if I was going to be in them 100%. Mm -hmm. So you could say to yourself, well, Todd, you've, not, you've just failed twice now. But <laughs> let's do the math. Let's say I'm making 10 units from one business, right? And then I start to offload things and have someone with less experience than me running it. So now the business is only doing eight units, right? But now if I have two of them, two times eight is 16. It's not 10 anymore. It's 16. <laughs> the question you want to ask yourself is, do you want a business that runs 10 units per unit of time? Or do you want a business that runs 16? Because two less efficient businesses, you know, can take the same amount of time from you. Ooh, yeah. Right? So Great I was point. one person. And now my revenue was 16 units per unit of time instead of eight, instead of 10. And so it was a 60% increase for me um, just because of the way that I structured it. And yeah. As soon as I kind of, that settled in with me, like I thought I was going to open a second business and 200%. Yeah. Because I got two of them. It was just hundred percent times two, right? Yeah, right. That's not how it always works because you're less personally involved. You're less authentically and sincerely involved in client care and staff care. And, and uh, everybody notices that staff notice yeah, it yeah. and customers notice it. Um, and so, um, and some people can do it, but I wasn't one of them evidently. But even with the slight uh, loss there, right, it still as a business, you know, was a step up for me. And I thought, well, great, then let's, let's try three and four and five. And oh, that, was, wow. <laughs> that was a key for, for me. And I've had eight, yeah. eight businesses since then. I've had at any one time, I've had as, as many as five open. Um, and they can be, you know, I'm sure that Mark Cuban sometimes gets up in the morning <laughs> and has a hard time differentiating between his Christmas tree company and his you know, software gaming community and his real estate stuff and keeping them all straight. Um, but um, for me, five started to be a little distracting. So I like to keep it smaller than that. Um, yeah, but it yeah. still gives me the remoteness that I need to pursue hobbies and sports and family and stuff like that. Interesting. Okay. So that, that I had a revelation while you were talking. Oh, good. Um, because, because I like that. I like, I like that idea. Scale creates distance, but also mm -hmm. it's, it's, it's cool because you said that it 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 took you the same amount of energy to run two businesses as it did to run one. It really and did. I heard, yeah, and I heard this from Grant Cardone, but he was talking about real estate, mm -hmm. and he said that it's it's harder to manage one property, like it's easier to manage fifty properties than it is to manage one. Yeah, 
And I never understood that. But when you put that in a business context, because it's true, like you're like, I'm just doing this twice. And yeah, it's like both are the same processes. So we just, it's really one process for two locations, which, okay, if you got the right people in place, then go for it. There are two things going on here that create economies of scale. The first one is that it creates room for you to involve specialists in your, in your craft. Like if you open a small laundromat, you are the, you are repair the equipment. That's your job. You also get up at 530 in the morning and unlock the doors and you run the registers. And when the tape is out of register, you go to Staples and you get a new one. Right. And you answer the phone and you fix the air conditioning on top of the roof and you negotiate with the landlord. That's all you. Right. If you have 11 laundromats, right, you can hire somebody that used to be used to work for the, the company that makes the equipment. And that person's an expert at running equipment. And because they're an expert, you can hire them and know that the equipment's never going to break. Yeah, that makes sense, though. That's cool because, yes, scale creates distance because it, it creates room to bring in specialists and bring in other people to help you yep. who, who know uh, more about it. That's cool. Other, I like that. Other, the other economy that at scale it brings to you is it allows you to learn something once and then practice it with a greater return the second and third time, right? Like the first time, if you were to run a marathon for the very first time in your life, it might take you a year to work up to the point where you can run 26 miles. Okay. But then it begs the next question. Look, if you want to run a second marathon, it doesn't take you a year at this point because you have some foundation, you have knowledge, you have nutritional, you have you know, yeah. and you have a base underneath you. And so even if you took a month off, it would not take you a year to run a second marathon. You could run two marathons in 14 months or one marathon in 12, right? Yeah. So there's, a, there's, there's an increasing return. And so in operations, this is also true where it could take you a long time to realize a sales process that works for you. Um, like we sell memberships at our gyms, right? Mm-hmm. So people come in and they're like, ah, I'm thinking about it. Maybe yes, maybe no. And we have a sales process. We walk them through and they help them understand all the benefits they'll get and why it's, you know, it's very affordable and high value. Um, and we socked at it for a little while until we got a process that really worked for us and everyone's happy. Well, once we figured it out, then we just apply it to all the gyms. Yeah. And all of a sudden, like we had, <laughs> you know, all gyms with bad sales numbers. And then we had one gym with good sales numbers. And just like that, all of our gyms had better sales numbers. Yeah, it's right. true. I, I, yeah, that's a, that's a good point. I really like that because, um, I, yeah, I don't know why it never clicked, but for me, I'd always been, I'm glad we're having this conversation because for me, it's always been like, um, for me, it's always been like, I've never wanted to get into real estate, but I love, I love like learning about it, but it's just, I don't know, maybe one day when, uh, (laughs) when I don't have to be so like involved or something, you know? I'll do it. But for now, it's just, I don't know. I, but, but I like the principles and what, what it was for me was a, a taking those principles of, of like a real estate and just applying it to operations. Um, yeah. Because it is, it's like, that's, and I can see that I can understand how like, yeah, for me, it's, for me, I, I train salespeople and it's really, it's way easier to train a hundred salespeople than it is to mentor one. Mm-hmm. And not only because like, and not only because, you know, if you train more, you make more, but also because like you, you just, you can do it at scale and more people are benefited and, and yeah, all the processes can work and, and people, mm-hmm. 
get going quicker. Yeah, you're getting feedback, right? Yeah. If you're training 100 people, you get 60 people that are catching on, and normally 70% of them are catching on quicker. And so you think, okay, sure. there's something to dig into. You get a lot more feedback with 100 folks than you do one. Yeah. Um, so <laughs> yeah. I learned the so same I, thing closing deals too. <laughs> I'm sure. Really, I'm it's really sure. easier. To, it's really easy to juggle five. <laughs> it's a lot harder if you only have one. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. So in summary, you and I are perfect examples of people <laughs> that aren't innovators and yeah. can run successful businesses that help sustain our families. Absolutely. Um, I, I feel like that's the lesson for, you know, beginner yeah. entrepreneurs is that um, every marathon starts with a walk around the block. <laughs> yes, absolutely. So, so now what do you do? Like you've gone through this and now um, what are your main businesses? What are your main uh, kind of functions? So I still have one gym uh, that I really enjoy. Just love this. It's the best team I've ever worked with. And so um, I, I keep that one running uh, if for no other reason to give them an outlet for their brilliance. Um, that's in California. I have a, a fencing uh, install company. We install a couple different types of fences in, in Florida where there's a lot of real estate um, being mm-hmm. built. Um, I have a construction wholesale company. We have just two or three products that we supply to um, mostly the fencing industry, vinyl, chain, and uh, aluminum and stuff like that. Um, I do a coaching and consulting business, which is mostly a hobby. Like I, I'm a businessman, yeah. right? So I run it like a business. I just, I really enjoy it. I always thought I would retire and teach. Um, mm-hmm. And universities are kind of in a weird spot right now. Um, you know, declining yeah. in, in prestige and function, I think. I and think so, so this is a, this is a more efficient way for me to coach and teach. Yeah. So I take on clients, people who have small businesses um, and have gotten in over their head and they just need someone <laughs> with more experience to help work it out, you know? Yeah, I like that. Yeah, that's true. But you know, what's funny about that is, is the, the education industry is changing. And I was just having a conversation about this the other day, um, because like, I'm not a college basher, but I'm also not like, I, I don't hate on it, but I also don't tell people like, it's the only way, you know what I mean? I'm like right mm-hmm. there. I'm like, if you, you know, if it's, if it's something you want to do, do it. And like, or, or if it's not, cause I, I kind of play both sides of the fence, but the, the, the problem with, the whole college bashing thing right now is, and, and why people, why it's declining is obviously like, there's not a whole lot of ROI, right? Because m- most of the ROI comes from just networking. Um, this is the fundamental I'll, dilemma facing them right now. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Value. value. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, but you know, what's funny is like the problem now is that we're, that we've kind of the, the inadvertent problem that I've seen now is, all right. So people are like, don't go spend 50 grand to get a bachelor's degree. Cool. I agree with that. Um, mm-hmm. But now, now some people are in this mindset that like, because, you know, don't get, don't spend 50 K cause it's free on YouTube. Right. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, well, here's, yeah, well, okay. Here's the problem with that. <laughs> mm-hmm. Cause now, now nobody understands that you have to pay to play. Mm-hmm. Like, cause paying to play used to meant like go to college and then you get a good job. And now, you know what I mean? We're good. But now mm-hmm. it's like, no, I shouldn't so have by to that, pay for the do you knowledge, mean, right? Do you feel like people are not paying their dues or do you f- think that um, uh, people are just learning to take the easy route and not investing time and th- the time and energy to learn things as thoroughly? What do you mean? Yeah, by that? Ex- yeah, exactly. So not taking the time, like, c- because one of the things I don't think you should go to school for is sales. Like, I, I don't think you need to go to college to learn how to sell. I think mm-hmm. you just need to sell. But the problem is 
people who've never sold before think they should be in like an enterprise account executive and not start as an SDR, right? And they're like, you know, well, I can learn enterprise account executive skills on YouTube. And it's like, well, no. (laughs) And so now we're in this kind of struggle. It requires so much practice and refinement and coaching and feedback from good supervisors and stuff. Um, You know, uh, I'll ask your opinion on this because I know you're a sales expert. I really enjoyed telemarketing back in the days when that was a thing. Yeah. Um, Because of the natural feedback capability there. Like I could have people listening to me and say, you you did a great job establishing rapport. Uh, Your close was a little awkward. Maybe you could try a trial close instead and then do it again. And again, and again, so much feedback. How do, like, how do you take someone now who wants to be in sales and get them through enough cycles where they can mature into a, you know, a great account rep? Well, I think it's, a lot of it is um, starting with like prospecting um, because, yeah, I like telemarketing too. Like, but we just called it something different. Like it used to be called telemarketing. Now it's called cold calling. I don't know what the, like, it used to be like telemarketing. Now it's an SDR. So Mm -hmm. I think you just make a bunch of phone calls. I also think, and what I do with people is like, we just practice. Like I just practice with them. Yeah. Like I'm the the client. Yeah. Role playing. Role play is the most underutilized tool in um, sales and management training, in my opinion. I just love it. Yeah. And people are like, people are like, you know, it's not, it's not real enough. And I was like, well, then you haven't role played with me. Cause I'll make it, <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, yeah. and if you can pass it with me, like, mm-hmm. you know, because what we do though, is, is it's crazy because the reason I like role playing is if you get somebody who's really good at it, like a coach who knows how to like, when to pull punch it or like, you know, when to punch really hard yeah. and when not to, you know, thing, that yeah. kind of thing. You get a lot of good feedback because what we do is like as salespeople, we catastrophize like, oh, they're going to say, no, they're going to think I'm sleazy. <laughs> and it's like, no, dude, actually they're not thinking that they're just wondering why the hell you interrupted them. And so that's easily resolvable by just telling mm-hmm. them why you interrupted. Them. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. That's such a good point about education. Cause I think there's some things that really are better learned experientially. Mm-hmm. And some things one can really learn out of a textbook. Um, the problem with, or one of the fundamental issues with college is that so much of it is out of a textbook mm-hmm. that a person can graduate four years later without enough experiential learning to have much practical value to company. Yeah. And then um, we get in this, yeah. And then we get in this route, whether you have a degree or you don't, right. Because somebody mm-hmm. told you not to waste your money. Now we don't have this. I like some people feel like they're entitled to the degree. Right. Mm-hmm. And some people feel like, they learned enough on YouTube for free that they're entitled to the position. And yeah. it's like, neither is true. You mm-hmm. have to start at the bottom. So mm-hmm. the thing is, is like, don't go, don't go to college for things that you're going to have to start all the way at the bottom. Like, mm-hmm. <laughs> like, like an SDR, yeah. don't go to school for sales. Just yeah, go yeah. get an SDR job, make a hundred phone calls a day, write down all of the objections and start to learn, find a mentor. Yeah. Mentors are really important for the, especially for those kind of jobs. Um, yeah. Yeah. And there's so many places you can go with it. There are some professions in the world that are such good uh, launching pads that I recommend them to all my teenage and college age friends. I think sales is one of them. If yeah. you can find a sales job with good mentorship, I think that's a really good way to, to go. Another one might be nursing uh, because most of healthcare, many, much of healthcare is led by nurse executives mm-hmm. um, because no one understands. In the same way that many companies are run by sales executives, Think about how many CEOs are ex 
you know, vice president of sales, many. Yeah. Yeah. And the reason is because they understand their customer's perspective better than, than other roles at the company. They have to, it's yeah. their, their job to. And in healthcare, nurses understand the patient experience better than other folks in the system because they have to, it's their job mm-hmm. to. Yeah. Um, and yeah. Yeah. Well, no. And, and that's funny because one of the things I teach in sales is, is like, if I'm, if I'm teaching somebody mm-hmm. is like, there's a big thing in sales, uh, like a divide and, and maybe it's not as oh. prevalent now, but, but you see kind of like sales trainers and some are like, I, you know, I just like to teach people how to sell and I like to sell. So like, uh, am I, am I an expert or like a, or like a grant card on, I don't know, but I just, I know that I, I can help people. But the yeah. thing is, is like, when you look at some of these people, like there's a divide between like, is product knowledge more important or is pro or is process more important or something like that. And mm-hmm. I just tell them neither. Like, because before I'll ever teach you about your product, you should know about your customer. Cause like sales mm. is not about you. You know what I mean? Like, Oh yeah. You, you should learn about what makes your customer tick. Because if mm-hmm. I, if I can do that, because here's the thing, like, where did, where did all these like closer Bibles come from? Like, in my opinion, it came from trying to convince people who didn't need your product that they needed your product. And to mm-hmm. me, that's a waste of time. Mm-hmm. Like if you want it and I understand it, like, like I might have to like persuade you and influence you. Like that's part of this process. Sure. But like you, you it shouldn't be a fight. Like <laughs> you know what I mean? it shouldn't be no. this extremely hard, you know? Yeah. The if, best if they're sales, ready for you. The best sales folks in my, in my experience at big companies were one of two types of people. One is the natural people person because they understood people well enough to understand what their motivations were and yeah. And connected with them in a, in a friendly way that allowed them to go through the sales process easily. Um, and not everyone, you know, buys from them, but the people who are well-suited for the product enjoy the process. And many of those folks do buy. The, yeah, next, yeah. the next best kind of salesperson, equal, uh, actually, on equal footing, is the scientist. The scientist is someone who says, well, there is a process. Um, and that process is understanding what the customer needs, understanding how our product provides that value conveying it in a way that everybody can digest it. And those folks, they have a hundred steps and they have certain graphics and pictures and spreadsheets that make the point. And because they're so detail oriented, they don't miss any steps. And I think both of those folks can succeed. The problem is, is if you um, try to be, if you're the natural born social person and you try to become the scientist, sometimes as a conflict, it's really hard for you to be that detail oriented um, and you skip steps. And you lose your natural fluidity, right? Um, yeah. And if you're a scientist and you try to, you know, be the the social butterfly, um, that's not <laughs> a natural tendency for you either, right? Yes, yeah. I mean, I think um, one of my like my process for for selling is just empathy, and and I love yeah. that because anybody can adopt that. Like, you can be a, a scientist, you can be a people person, but if you just like give a shit about somebody else besides yourself yeah. and besides like your goals, you're going to get a lot further in your life than, than yeah. what that means, you know? And, and uh, that way. yeah, <laughs> right. Exactly. And so, yeah. you know, what's so funny. I just heard this. I don't know why this, I don't know why I, a guy really admired and, and, but this is why I have friends like this. I really admire him. I agree with 90% of what he does, but the 10% I like vehemently disagree on. And mm. one of the things was, he was like, empathy is like the thoughts and prayers of like the the world. And I was like, and he made his argument and I thought it was fine. Like, but I was like, I think you missed the point of like empathy because empathy doesn't work unless you do. 
literally mm-hmm. like work, right? Like yeah. you have to like, you know, real empathy is like sharing it, sharing the the feelings of another person, understanding and sharing the feelings of another person. Yeah. But like also helping them along and, and coaching them through things and like, you know, providing value, whatever yeah. they find value in. And mm-hmm. so uh, it was just funny though, but I appreciated it. It made me think, cause that's why I like people who disagree with me a lot. And I like people who make me question everything is because yeah. you're like, then you have to justify it. And for me, if I can't justify it, then I'm like, Oh, I guess, I guess I need to do more homework or I guess it was something yeah. I need to move on from. <laughs> yeah. I've had uh, a few sports coaches in my life. And one of the things that they try to incorporate in my training um, is to have me teach the basics to someone less experienced than me. And the, the premise is you don't really understand it until you can teach it. Mm-hmm. Um, and I can't tell you the number of times that I've gone and I've tried to teach the basics to someone as an, as an experienced player in, in a handful of sports. Um, and I can't. Um, and in doing and so, learning how to teach them, I learned something fundamental about my form or my, you know, um, athletic endeavors that can be improved. Yeah. Yeah. I, I really like that a lot. Um, why well, I, I got so much, <laughs> so many, so many good things from this conversation. Oh, and good. I, and I really yeah, appreciate fun. your time, Todd. But before I let you go, of course, um, what I would love to, for you to share how everybody can find you. And, and if maybe yeah. they're curious about your consulting or if they're listening in Florida, where they can find you. Of course. Yeah. Thanks for that. So I have a, a consulting and coaching practice and the best way to, to reach me there is beachview.biz. It's my website, uh, beachview, be like Bravo, E-A-C-H, uh, V-I-E-W and biz is dot B-I-Z, Bravo, Indigo Zebra. Um, also in Facebook, I have a Facebook group called Real Business Coaching. Um, and if you just look in the Facebook groups, it's easy to find. And we really try to focus on folks that are trying to have some kind of sustainable living. It's a good side hustle for them or something that they support themselves with, with their consulting um, and coaching. And so there are a lot of practical things we try to do with that group. We have some group calls and I do a lot of one-on-one stuff with folks in there. So those are two, the two best ways to reach me. Perfect. Well, thank you so much, Todd. I really appreciate you coming on. Dalton, it's a pleasure. Nice talking to you, man. Hey, everybody. It's Dalton again. And I wanted to introduce you to my sales group, Mastermind. This is for business owners and sales consultants who want to learn the lifeblood of business. Look, the reality is, is if you're selling to somebody and it's face-to-face, or you got to jump on sales calls, or you have to learn how to persuade and influence people in your business every day, this is the mastermind group for you. Uh, We'll have trainings every week. We have a full sales training course that'll take you through it. And most of all, uh, you don't have to break any of your morals or your ethics to learn how to sell in my course. So we focus on empathy-based sales techniques and persuasion and influence that is based on helping and serving other people because reciprocity in business is probably one of the most effective tools to win over your clients. So with all that being said, you can join at empatheticselling.com. You can sign up for a full year or you can go month to month. Either way, it's great. And I look forward to seeing you on the inside. Thank you so much.